0: Good evening, everyone. How's everyone doing? We've got plenty of social distancing tonight. Everyone's sprawled out really good today. Uh, so good to see you. Everyone look at someone across the church and wave at them and say it's good to see them. All right. Uh, hope you guys are having a good week. I, I spent most of my morning at the dentist, not for me, just for my kids. So it, it was a, I, I like those trips versus when I have to get something done. But uh Spent most of the day doing that today. Uh, how many are having a good week? Everybody having a good week? All right, good, good. Now, we are going to attempt to finish. Uh, we've been, we started the year uh, doing the study of James. I didn't realize it. There's only five chapters in James. Didn't realize we were going to be all the way in March, but we had a few snow days and a few, uh, you know, a couple things, business meeting um, that happened. And uh, so we just took it with stride. So we're going to finish that. So if you if you do have your Bibles, you can go to James chapter five for me. And I almost feel lost because it's been such a long time since we were were together. And so I just it just kind of feels like almost a a new class. And so James chapter five. And James here in James chapter five, he's picking up where he left off in chapter two. If you Remember back in chapter 2, he's attempting to do what Jesus did, and he's cleansing the temple. Um, he's cleaning house concerning wealthy people who had no relationship with the Lord, but simply like to be seen in the midst of believers. There was an issue going on uh, in the church, so prominent people with, with money were coming into the church and using their, their wealth to, to gain access to things and so james is pretty much calling them out so the first section that we're going to look at here in james chapter 5 uh you know the subheading to this would be warning to the rich and everyone looks your neighbor say they're talking to you all right i don't know if you're rich or not maybe they're not so warning to the rich Uh, everyone says lord i accept that all right uh james chapter 5 verse 1 says come now you rich uh let's do this real fast let's pray Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we go over this last chapter in James. God, I pray, Lord, it would be practical, Lord, to our daily walk, and I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, good. James chapter 5, verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's Really encouraging, right? Right off the get-go. Uh, your riches have rotted... And and your garments are moth-eaten. Your your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. James has got some pretty strong words for the rich people who are coming to church to kind of just flaunt their, their riches and be seen. You have laid up treasures in the last days. So uh, if you were to ask James, this is my opinion, and you'll see as I go through this. I'll, I'll, I'll just stop, this is me commentating, okay, not, not necessarily uh, what the scripture says. But if you were to ask James what his favorite story of Jesus was, I, I, I just have this strange suspicion that that story would be when Jesus drove everyone out of the temple with the whip. I, th- I honestly think that was James, he was a doer. He, the way If you look at the way his book is written, it's not about making you feel good, it's just about going out and doing it. And so uh Jesus drove out the people in the temple and 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 honestly if you look at these this this portion of scripture is talking to rich people but it's not talking to believers. Okay? And that's that needs to be noted. Uh if you are uh rich and you're a believer this is James is not talking to you but if you're not a believer and you are rich and you're coming to church to make it a social event or this and that's what James is getting at. He, he's just wanting you to put an end to, to this attitude that was in the church, the early church. Um, verse seven makes it clear that he is addressing, uh, that he, uh, he's addressing the true believer. So his words here in verse three are not targeted towards the brothers and sisters, but those who are strictly playing church. okay? Did that make sense? So everybody there, he, he's targeting the rich who are not believers who are coming in and basically playing church. Now, he's not targeting people who were true believers that had money, okay? All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cover some ground today. Uh, it's easy to throw people with money underneath the bus here, right? So we can look at this and say, you have money, so you're automatically a sinner. It's easy to take this out of context, but that's not what James is doing. Uh, he's not saying it's wrong to be wealthy or have money, but... At that time, people uh, with money were indeed showing up at church to make a scene and to use their money as influence and be esteemed highly in the church. And so what he's really getting at here, and you're going to hear this a lot tonight, he's getting to the real issue here is not the fact that they had money, but he's getting to the issue of their heart. That's really what he's getting at. He's getting to the issue of their heart. It wasn't the fact that they had money, but it was the attitude of their heart. I want attention, so that's why I'm coming in. I, we have money, so notice us. We're coming in on our Christmas service, or we're coming in on our once-in-a-year Easter service, and, and we're showing you how affluent that we are. And this is, these are people that are not believers, okay? And here's the thing. Money is good. How many believe that? Right, uh, you're not going to get very far in life without money, in our society. Right? Go to McDonald's and try to buy a Big Mac on your good looks, and tell me how that works for you. <laughs> so, so here's the—that's funny. So here's here, here's the thing. Here's the thing, and this is what we need: money is needed, and here's the issue: it's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Money is not evil. It's the love for it. It's a heart issue with the money that is the root of all evil, okay? So uh, just because you have money does not make you a bad person. There are affluent Christians and people who have money who are true believers who do a lot of good with their finances. All right? Just so you know. So James here, he's not, he's not picking on believers, but he's, and he's not picking on people who, who, are having, who have money, but he's, he's looking at the core issue. Hey, you guys happen to be unbelievers, you happen to be rich, but here's the issue. It's not because you're rich, it's your heart, all right? It's your heart. So verse 4 says this, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, Are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lied on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Then you have fattened your hearts. Catch that. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So remember this is not to the believers but to those exploiting their riches to gain esteem, and, uh, in and through the church, making it uh, kind of a social event. So they're coming in, they're letting all the leaders know, "Hey, we're affluent, we could help you out." And and you know, and so James is talking about exploiting these people here. So in James four seventeen, and we ended ended here. It's I mean, it seems like five months ago to me now, but uh, when we did end here last, uh, he says this. To know to do good and to not do it to him is sin and what a what a pointed ending what does that tell us that as believers, when we know we should be doing something and we don't follow through with it, guess what that is sin now that's pretty pointed um, and and when you know it's right to give to someone a fair wage if you're if you own a company or you. Are you, or someone's working for you and you know it's right to give someone a fair wage and you do not give them a fair wage, guess what? Sin. That's right. Now, let's flip the script there. It's fair to give your boss a fair day's work for your wage and not waste time. And if you don't do that, or I mean, if you do waste time it, and you know that you shouldn't be wasting time, guess what that is? Now, that's rough, right? Some of us are like, ooh, I don't like that very much. But, but that, is, that, is, that is the truth. And that's what I like about James is he's pretty pointed on, on a lot of things. Basically, as believers, some of you are like, well, I don't want to know more of the Bible because then I'll have to know what's right and wrong. But that's part of growing up as a Christian. We should know what's right and what's wrong, right? And so look at this. So notice this, that James says, you fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter, you took advantage of people to get rich. Um, James is especially tough on this group because their hearts were not right. I mean, it's pretty brutal when he comes in. He, I mean, he's just he's just throwing throwing fire right off right off the get go in this chapter. Right? Do, do me a favor, go back to go back to verse one real fast. Come now, you rich, weep and howl uh, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. <laughs> and your garments are moth eaten verse verse 3 your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire you have laid up treasure in the last days verse 4 behold the wages of laborers uh, uh, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts verse 5 you have lived in the earth, in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. That—that's pretty straightforward. Now, now again, if you weren't in here, this is for the unbelievers, the the rich unbelievers, okay? And so he's pretty hard on them. And James, he's especially tough on this group. And here's the thing: if we look, uh, if we all look at at deep, at most of our problems stem from this simple thing: our own selfish. Ambition. That, that that Most of our issues go to that. Here's You know why we sin? Because we're selfish. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to please the Lord. I, I, God, I, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what you tell me to do. That's selfishness, right? Uh, it reminds me of, of my kids. Sometimes my kids don't want to help. You know, like, Zaley doesn't want to help Novak, or Wyatt doesn't want to help Novak, or Novak doesn't want to help Zaley. Sometimes it's just out of selfish ambition. I don't want to do it because you're my brother and I'm mad at you right now. Or I don't want to do it because I want to get up off the couch right now. Right? And that's what happens. And, and here in this group, he, he, he's talking to, this, to these unbelievers, and he's pointing out, here's the issue. Here's the issue of your heart. You guys are here for your own good. Not because you love the Lord. You're being selfish. So uh, we should all look at this. And and from time to time as believers, okay, as believers, I'm just going to, I don't want to make the assumption, but I'm going to assume that everybody in here is a believer. And as a believer, we ought to reevaluate our hearts every once in a while. And say, Lord, is there something inside of me? Am I being a little bit uh, uh, selfish? Selfish? Lord, is there something you want more from me? And I think, it, I think that's good, and I think that's, I think that's healthy. Amen? Do you guys believe that? All right. So the second portion we're going to talk about, and you guys can buckle up on this one. We go from, from James kind of picking on the rich unbelievers. And then he goes into this. Now he's going to talk to the believers, and, and it's patience and suffering. Oh, James, you had me. I liked it when you were talking about the unbelieved rich people. Now, you're going to talk to us about pain and or patience in suffering. Verse 7 says this Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the, the early and the late rains. You also be patient. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at, at at hand. So notice here he shifts gears and he goes from talking to the rich non-believers. Now he's talking to the believers. Okay? There's you, you gotta get that context. Make sure you understand that. So now he's talking to the believers. ever look at your paper say, now he's talking to the believers. All right. By saying and, and, and know this, when he says, brothers here. Um, he is inferring to the believers and, and that's both men and women. Okay. Just, just so you know, he's talking to everybody. He's not just talking to the guys, um, and, and patient or, or patience. It's something, patience is something that I have to work on. Anybody good with patience in here? Everyone patient, everyone good. Anybody get aggravated when you when you have to wait in the drive-through a little bit too long? You're like, I'm in the drive-through because I wanted it to be fast, not because I wanted to sit here 30 minutes and and wait on my hamburger. Right? Um, uh, patience is, is is tough. And and here here we know this in the fruit of the spirit, where there is love, there's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And right there. Love, joy, peace. Patience. Oh, oh, why, Lord? You could have left that one out. I'm okay with love. I love joy. Come on, bring on the peace, Lord. I like kindness. I like goodness. I like your faithfulness. I like gentleness. I like self-control. But patience, patience is tough. Anybody struggle with patience? And in that, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, listen, know this. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, that is the character of Jesus Christ. Everything you read right there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that is Jesus Christ. Guess who we're supposed to be like as Christians? Guess who fails on all of those all the time? Right here. All right. Um, and, and, and this is the character of God. Patience is something, and this is the struggle with patience. Here's the here's the deal with patience. It costs us something. And that's what's frustrating about patience. You know what patience is? You know why you get upset when you're in the drive-thru and you don't get your order right? Or you don't get it fast enough and you don't have patience because somebody messed up on your order. You know why? Because it costs you something. I just spent 30 minutes in this drive-thru and they still got my order wrong. Taco Bell, all right. <laughs> I wasn't going to call anyone out in the house, but <laughs> that's fun. But patience is something that costs us the most. You know why? You know what? Another, another form of patience is when we have to have patience with somebody who just gets under our crawl. Maybe you have uh, somebody you work with. And, and you have a hard time dealing with them, and it takes patience to, to work with them, right? And you have to really, like, I got to just keep my mouth shut today. Lord, help me today. Right? You, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are just sitting there like, that's not me, but I know it is. I know it is, all right? Romans twelve twelve says this. Look at this. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble be patient in trouble and keep on praying it says this rejoice in our confident hope be patient in trouble and keep on praying so right in the middle of this look at this i like this cuz paul i like how paul and james are in agreement here paul says this he says right in the right in the middle of rejoicing in hope and persevering in prayer guess what you got to do be patient in trouble okay We're confident, we rejoice in this confident hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We should be, and the last part of that says, keep on praying or persevere in prayer. But right in the middle of that, Paul throws this in there. Be patient in trouble. I don't know about you when my life, when I'm going through a trial, I'm going through a situation, I'm going through whatever. The last thing I want to do is be patient with what I'm going through because I want to get through it in a hurry. Right? That, that That's it. I just, I just want to get through this right now. And most of us say, and you don't want to be patient, most of us, in, in the instance like where we're, if you've ever had a financial issue or a financial trial, the last thing you want to do is be patient during a uh, financial trial, right? Right? It's like, Lord, give me patience in this financial trial. It's like, no, Lord, just get me through this trial right now. And get me back up on my feet. So, and it's funny, so when, I, when I'm going through a hardship, I always ask the Lord to help me learn. And when, I, when I'm really struggling with something, I say, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? Help me to see that so I can learn here, so I can learn this and I can move forward. You know, remember, patience is the theme here. And as, as believers, you know, we're going to all face injustices. We're all going to be ripped off at some point. We're all going to have unfairness in our life. Right as we live our life, that's just going to happen. From time to time, things are going to happen. That's just called life. Sometimes you just get ripped off. Sometimes there are just things that happen, and sometimes even as a believer, it just doesn't go our way. We wish it would, but sometimes it just doesn't go our way. And sometimes someone else, and like here's a good, here's a good example. Someone else may get the job. That you thought the Lord was going to give you. Right? And that's trouble. When you don't have a job. Right? You say, hey God, can you work? help me work patience in the middle of this trial right now? Lord, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. But Lord, help me. And no matter how fair or unfair it might seem, the Lord sees what's going on. and, And here's the thing. At the end of the day. No matter if you you think it's fair or unfair, he'll settle the score. He'll settle the score. He he gets the last word. Verse nine says this: Do not grumble against one another. Look at your neighbor. And say, "I'm not going to grumble against you." Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The King James Version says, don't grudge against each other. Don't hold something against somebody around you. And salvation is, 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 is not going to come from a union of a Christian, core, core, <laughs> a Christian coalition organization, okay? Salvation does not come from a man-made ideal group or thing. But you got to stick to the big picture here. This is what James is saying. He's saying stick to the big picture. I don't know about you. I'm a right-brained person. I'm a big picture person. That's That's who I am. I'm like, hey, let's do this. The details are not my strength. God knew what he was doing when he paired me with my wife because she is the complete opposite. She's detail-oriented. If I looked organized at any form, it's because my wife is... Telling me what I need to do because I'm a bit, I mean, those around me know this is true. I look at things in the big picture. That's just who I am. Anybody with me? Probably, or is, all right. All right, good. There's a few of you that are like me in here. How many are like my wife? All right, we're going to pray for y'all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We need, listen, we need everybody. But stick to the big picture here. And this is, what, this is what James is saying. Stick to the big picture. Don't, don't get in arguments with each other. Don't hold grudges against each other. Stick to the big picture. And this is what we should do. The big picture is this. Live for the kingdom. Live for your kingdom. It's simple. Live for the kingdom. And here's the second thing. Be looking for his coming. All right? And, I mean, he, he, he's saying there the judge is standing at the door. How many believe he's coming again? Amen. Verse 10 says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, who you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I want to I point something out here. In, in the book of Job, Job was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy man. He he had he had it all together, and then he lost everything. You guys know the story, right? And he lost everything. And if you read the last chapter of the book that bears bears his name, and in case you don't know, that's the book of Job. All right, that was a joke. You could laugh at it, everyone. Just everyone. Everyone just just relax. Just a, just a second. All right, everyone go. All right, thank you. All right, so uh, if you read the last uh, chapter of the book of Job, you will see that he ended up with twice as much as he had before his difficulties began. That's called patience. That's called being patient in the time of trouble, right? Uh, Even his family was replenished. Why? Because he was patient. And yes, it, here's the thing. Yes, there were periods where he probably had a little bit of doubt in his heart. And he, he probably, you know, questioned God. You say, "Why? how do you know that? Well, you know what? I have doubt sometimes. I, I, I question. doesn't mean I, I have unbelief. But sometimes I'm just like, man, I, I don't understand this this big picture right now. But he is an example of a man who endured difficulty and of one who was rewarded greatly. Not only did he endure difficulty, but guess what? He was rewarded greatly because of what he went through. Hebrews 6.12 says this, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Let me read that again. Hebrews 6.12 says this, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience uh, inherit the promise. The promises. There's that P word, patience. I don't know. Uh, I, I always like to say this. Is your life a life worth imitating? That's tough sometimes. Some of us are like, yeah, if you want to go down the wrong path, or, you know, we might say. But but in this, we can look at somebody like Job in, in the New Testament. This is a New Testament verse in Hebrews. But we can look back, and we can look at Job's life and say, you know what? I want to be an imitator of the type of patience that job had doesn 't mean I want to go through the same thing job went through, but I, I want to be able to be able to stand on the promise of God and say, "I believe God is going to bring me through this, and I believe he 's going to work it out amen and so uh, but it says, "Be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise, but there's the key there, so there's the key so he was to be an imitator of him. You're not only going to have patience. When you have patience, guess what? When you have patience, when you deal with situations, when you work through those situations, when you allow God to work that patience in you, guess what? There is a reward on the other side of the of the issue. And so, uh, so we need to be imitators. So, Job's a good person to look at when you're looking at patience. Uh, uh, be patient and inherit the promise of God. Patiently wait. On the Lord's return. Now that that's where where James is at. He's telling us that. He said, be patiently waiting on the Lord's return. Some of us, you know, I've heard my whole life that the Lord's coming back. How many have heard that your whole life? I've heard that my whole life. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, God, hurry up and get here. But but I have to know as a believer, I have to be patient while I'm waiting on the Lord. While things don't look good, while troubles are happening, while things are happening, I'm gonna be patient, but I'm gonna wait on the Lord's return. Verse 12 says this. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, here's the thing. Now, some of you are with your spouse tonight. You don't need to look at your spouse. Uh, when they don't follow through sometimes and be like let your yes be yes and your no be no right ultimately uh i think i've used that one on tristan and she's used that one on me a few times right let your yes be yes and your no be no but here this is not uh here's the here's the issue some people have used this uh, this verse in a, in a way to say hey you you shouldn't um uh you shouldn't be taking an oath in a court of law it's not what this is dealing with in this case, okay? just so you know court of law case that was kind of funny anyways instead he's this he's 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 prohibiting the ancient practice of appealing to a bunch of different objects to verify your statement. Let me give you an example of this. How many said this uh as a kid? I swear by my grandma's grave, right? Anybody ever say anything like that? Maybe I'm the only weird one that ever said something like that or uh, you know, or put whatever object you want in there. I swear by this, or I this, you know, fill in the blank. I cross my heart. <laughs> that, thank you. That's a good one, too. Uh, and, and these verses are a reminder to us to watch what we say. And and, and I'm, there's some real practical things here uh, they are a reminder to us. So here's the first one. Don't use God's name in a reckless manner. You know, the Lord's name should be honored. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even write the Lord's name. They, would just, they wouldn't even fill it out all the way. They, they would put the name. That's how much they revered the name of the Lord when they would write script. So don't use the, God's name in a reckless manner, but we should be careful to speak God's truth. Now, here's the issue. Here's the issue when we talk. Some of us talk and talk and talk and talk. Here's the issue. The more I say, the more of a chance I have to sin. The more I say, the more of a chance I have to sin. How many have ever said too much when you shouldn't have said? All right. Right? The more I say, the more of a chance... Uh, Proverbs ten nineteen says, too much talk leads to sin. Pretty straightforward. Too much talk leads to sin. And it says this, be sensible. And I told you guys when, I, I think I, when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, it says this in Scripture, be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I think I just simply said, hey, sometimes you just need to shut up. I wasn't saying that in a mean way. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just repeating what Proverbs said in a different way. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. So I'm learning this each and every day that, uh, that I need to sometimes just not say anything. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. It's going to help you out because it helps me out. Um, don't take this the wrong way. Your advice isn't always needed. Sometimes when people are talking to you, they're not looking for your advice. Sometimes they just want to just get something off their chest. And as believers, we need to be discerning to what people are saying to us and not so concerned about trying to fix their situation. Now, I'm learning this. So, hey, let's learn together. Let, let's, let's do that together, right? Uh, so he's saying this, keep your, keep your speech simple. And just straightforward. I like that about James. Just just hey, be careful. So here's the here's the third third heading: the prayer of faith. Amen. Everyone say the prayer of faith. I like this. 13A it says this is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. I like because we go he goes from talking from not saying too much, but then he goes from talking to praying. A lot of times. We talk when we should be praying about a situation. So is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It doesn't say is anyone suffering among you. Talk about it. It says pray, pray. And what if we truly believe that? What if we truly believe what James is saying? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. What if we truly lived it out? What if we truly walked in that? What if we stopped speaking so much about grudges, afflictions, issues, and just prayed about them instead? Number one, it's going to take a load off of you, right? Uh, And it's really simple, and it's super, it's workable as a believer. This is something that we can all do. It's really easy. It's a radical idea that James, and he's presenting it to us. And here's the thing. My issue, if someone has, has afflicted me or caused pain or whatever, I want to give them a piece of my mind. Anybody else? If you, if you come at me, the first thing I want to do is go right back at you. It, it, hey, that's just the way it is. And when I do, I'm wrong. And I'm going to tell you why I'm wrong. So, so if somebody comes at me, let's just say somebody yells at me at work or whatever. My wife yells at me at home, whatever, fill in the blank. And my response is to come back at them and and be mean or say something vengeful or whatever the case. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And too many times, here's the problem. When someone's coming at me, I put the issue on the person and not the spirit that's behind the person. And that's not a good place to be. And I think sometimes we, gotta, we have to check our hearts. And I'm getting mad at the person, but I'm not getting mad at the enemy that is causing this person to have the attitude towards me. I'm not fixing anything. Matter of fact, I was reminded of a story. There's a particular airline that I refused to fly on because I had such a terrible experience. And I it's easy for me to get fired up when I think about this airline. I'm not kidding you. And I was talking to a couple people this week and they they said we're going to go fly and and they told us they said we're going to we for spring break we're going to this place and we're going to go see if we can get tickets on this airline. You know what my first response was? Don't do it. Don't do it. And I I began to just let them know, hey, I had this issue, I had this issue, I had this issue, I had this issue, and 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 I can take off my, my, my shoes and still count all the issues. I had so many issues with this one airline, one time, over and over and over and over. And you're like, man, TJ, are you holding the grudge? Kind of. I've forgiven them, but I don't want to ever get on one of their planes ever again. But here's the thing. We cannot continue to justify our tendencies to fault folks or war against them. That's it. I can't get mad at that airline. You know what? when When I was talking to the customer care line, I let that person know what I thought. Now, that person had zero to do with my bad experience, but they took the brunt of what I was. And guess what? Probably should have just got off the phone and said, I need to go take a walk and pray. Because I'm not, I'm not getting anything accomplished, and I didn't get anything accomplished. All I did was just said my piece, and I'm still mad about it, obviously, right? <laughs> the solution to oppression is to look for the Lord's coming. That's what James is telling us. And when we are afflicted, to watch our words, watch what we say. Let them be yes, let them be no, and by all means, here's what James is saying, pray. Verse 13a, he's saying pray, pray. Look at this, 13b says, is is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Here we go, if you're cheerful, one, two, three, four. All right, some of you were trying, everyone's... There's no cheerful people in the house tonight, right? So the King James Version says, let him sing psalms. And, and here's the thing if you, if you go through the, the book of Psalms and you look, there is a psalm for every occasion. There's a, t- there's a time for happy, there's a time for sad, there's a time for, for mourning, there's a time. So there is, there is a psalm for every occasion that you could possibly, when you're angry, when you're alone, they're all there. Smack dab in the middle of the Bible is Psalm 150. And let me tell you something for every situation, there's a psalm or a song to sing i like that so if you're cheerful you know i love i I love this Uh, one of my former pastors uh he's one of those guys that was just happy jovial matter of fact i don't as uh, when i worked under under him i don't think i ever saw him get angry ever 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 once uh he always had a joke. And he was one of those guys that, you know, if you rode with him in the truck or whatever, he'd be like, hey, let's go. We'd be at the church. He'd be like, let's go to the hardware store. So I'd go to the hardware store. And whatever song was playing on the radio, when we, we he'd get out. Guess what? He'd be singing that song that was on the radio, right? And so we would come in, and he would just sing, whatever. You know, it didn't matter who was there. He was just a happy person, right? And so we need to be cheerful. I think that Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world. We need to act like it. hey. Notify, notify your face that you're a child of God. Right? Notify your face that you're a child of God. Smile. God gave you teeth so you could show them off. If you don't like them, brush them. Right? Verse 14 says this. Is anyone among you sick? Uh, let them call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over, over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 13 talks about people who are afflicted mentally, spiritually, or emotionally. And So those people, they need, they need prayer. and You need to pray about it, right? But verse 14, however, is those who are physically sick. And here's the thing. As believers, we're all at some point going to be physically sick, right? Everybody's been sick at least once in their life. And the responsibility is, uh, is of the sick believer is to do this, to call on the elders of the church to pray for them. It's not the elder's job to go seek you out. No, if you, if you are sick in body, you are to call the elders of the church and have them pray for you, right? And, and here's the thing. And so uh, I, I, some people say this, I was sick, and no one came and prayed for me. Well, did you tell anybody? let anybody know did you did you call the elders did you ask we're not mind readers but i promise you that if you have a need and you're physically sick let me tell you something we will pray for you and james here he, he he says it's it's the responsibility number one it's the responsibility and it's a privilege it's an opportunity uh uh uh, for uh, and for the for the person who is sick, and here's what happens: when you, if you're sick in body and you're struggling, and I, you know, put whatever sickness you want, and you're going through something, if you, if you call the elders of the church, this is this is a step of humbling yourself. It, it's really all it is: is hey, I, I have a need. I can't do this on my own. Can can you guys? Come help me. Will you? Will you come lift me up in prayer? Will you? Will you guys believe with me? It's amazing. I, 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 when I was looking at this, I was thinking about this. I thought that's profound. And maybe sometimes we miss our healing because we won't humble ourselves. I'm not saying that's all the time, but I'm saying maybe sometimes we would be healed of afflictions if we would just humble ourselves and say, "Hey, yeah, I need prayer." I need prayer right now. And notice this, the elders is plural. Um and it's a group, it's a group of of a uh, 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 corporate group rather than just one person. Notice it doesn't say when you're sick have the pastor only come over and pray for you. It, it 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 it's so now I'm now there's a few board members in here, so now I'm 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 letting you guys know you're you're on blast right now. Right? Not my design, God's design, but it says this: Is there a problem? Uh, it, is there a problem with praying with with? Uh, he, know this: If there's not a problem when when one person prays for one person, there's that's not an issue. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the issue: Is this? And this is what what here's the danger that can happen when one person is the only person that that people pray with is uh something begins to happen it starts as a simple desire to be used by the Lord and it can really turn into a one man show God'll use whoever he wants to heal people he'll use a group of people he'll use a man he'll use whatever the case but some people i mean sometimes and 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 not that there's anything wrong but people it you know like in the 80s would chase down people to heal to pray for them because they believe that only that person could touch them and they'd be healed. But that's not what James is saying here. James is saying, hey, hey, if you want to be healed, call the elders of the church. That's why it's important to be part of a church. Because we're family. We help each other out. And to keep this in check, James is saying, when someone is sick, let a group of elders uh, be there to pray and 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 not just one person can get the credit when when that person is healed. Well, brother, so and so came in and prayed for me, so they've obviously have the healing touch. I'll give you an example. Just recently, we had our elder board prayed for someone who is facing a sickness, and can I tell you something? It was a powerful moment. It was. This person had, had a need and had a sickness, and they said, hey, can you privately, they said, can, can we ask the elders to come together and pray over this sickness that we're dealing with? And you know what? I said, absolutely. And we brought the elders together, and we brought the elders' wives together, and we laid hands, and we prayed for this person. And it, it was an amazing, amazing mom- moment. It says this, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil in Scripture represents the Holy Spirit, and oil was used to anoint kings in the Old Testament. You guys know Samuel anointed David with oil, and oil was used in the parable of the Good Samaritan to heal the man's wounds. Oil has some uh, unique traits in Scripture. In this verse, I suggest that James is speaking both symbolically of the Holy Spirit and medicinal medicinal purposes. What do you mean by that? Medicine purposes. And it speaks of a person saying, "Hey, I'm looking to the Lord uh, to, for the Lord's healing. I'm I'm submitting to his will for my life and I believe in his power and presence." And here's the thing, I'm going to use medicine as well. Is it unbelief to use medicine? I think it's I think it's wisdom. <laughs> you know, uh uh honestly, Sometimes God may heal you through medical practice. Sometimes God will heal you by the laying on of hands. But ultimately, God can heal, amen? And in this verse, I suggest that, that James is spe- It speaks of a person saying, I'm looking to the Lord, to the Lord for healing. And, and basically, I'm submitting to his will, number one. I think that's important that we have to know that. For my life, and I believe in his power, capital H, his power and presence, and I'm going to use medicine as well. Two streams of healing. I want to point this out. Two stream, there's two streams of healing there's prayer and there's medicine. But can I tell you this? Both streams, look at this, both streams, God works through both streams. Okay? God works through both streams. But can I tell you this? Look at me. Medicine does not heal. Prayer does not heal; God heals. Okay. Medicine does not heal; prayer does not heal; God, God heals, and that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate thing. Verse fifteen says this: "And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven." What's the prayer of faith? Uh, it's not a prayer offered up because of emotions and feelings. I grew up Pentecostal. And if we didn't have somebody doing something in a service, then it was a dead service, right? If we didn't have some kind of emotion. And listen, we're, we're beings and we're made of emotions. And when we react emotionally. I believe when the spirit of God moves on us, I think it affects our emotions. But listen, that's not. What symbolizes or what makes a good prayer? Okay? It's this it's simply responding to the Lord personally. It's not emotion, but it's simply responding to the Lord personally. You know God loves you. You know the Lord knows you by name. You know the Lord knows how many hairs are on your head. You know God knows every intention of your heart. You know God knows everything about you. He knows you and he wants to know you on a personal level. And it's this, as, as a believer, and if i if I as a believer, I know I have a relationship with him, I need to respond to him. He knows me personally. Guess what? I need to respond to him personally. I need to know him. I need to know his character. I need to know his heart. I need to know who he is. I need to know what he wants from me. Look at this. Do you remember Peter and John at the gate? Beautiful. They were there, and they had probably passed this man many times previous previous to this when Jesus was doing ministry. And and so then they come by the gate after Acts chapter two after after Peter preached and many were saved. Guess what? They're Chapter 3, they go straight there. They're going up to the temple to pray. They see this guy, and this guy's over there, and he's just asking for money. He's just crying out for money. And you know the story. You know, Peter says, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And, And I believe this. They experience faith like they had never seen before. Guess what? When you're praying for someone or when you're believing someone, you know, God God can God can work miracles through you. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that God can work miracles through you? I mean, if God can use a donkey, he can use you, right? Everyone's like, whoa, hey. If God can use a well, he can use you. If God can use a dove, he can use you. God will use whoever he wants. But this is what I've learned about the Lord. I have to submit to him for him to use me. That's, that's it, plain and simple. To be used by God, I have to submit my will to his. And here's what I know. I've prayed for people and, I, I, and, and, and people who have grown up in church, and maybe Micah can relate to this, and maybe Jody, and, and maybe some others. But I've grown up in church, and I've prayed with people, and I, I've sensed that a miracle is going to happen when I've, when I've prayed for them. I I've, I've been there and I and I feel like it's on the way. And here's what will happen. When you pray for people, you'll get to a place where and you say I've never I've never experienced that, but you will if you just keep praying. And here's the thing, you say, "What if I don't experience a miracle?" Can I tell you this? Simple. Pray anyway. Pray anyway. Because the <laughs> For the few times that I've prayed for people and I felt like a miracle was coming, guess what? I've also prayed for people and, and have, have prayed for probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of people where not all of them were healed. Some were, some were not. Some didn't get healed until they got to heaven. Yet, even if a full miracle doesn't take place, something wonderful happens when we agree and we pray together to the Father. And that's what I have to remember, and it's what I have to keep in perspective. I don't always see the big picture. God knows what he's doing, but I I need to be d- diligent in prayer. And it's good for a person going through physical sickness to call on the elders and to have them pray and to continue to pray for healing until they are healed. It says this, and he has committed sins he will be forgiven sometimes now look at me now this 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 will this could be a doctrinal doctrinal stumble for some of us here but can I tell you this and I I, sometimes sin can bring sickness Now now let me flip that real fast that doesn't mean that every sickness is because of sin okay Sometimes sin can bring sickness, but that doesn't mean that every sickness is because of sin. I'll give you some examples in Mark chapter two. Jesus, and the, you know the story where the, the four friends bring the paraplegic, uh, para, uh, para, yeah, the guy that's paralyzed, and they bring him down and and they lower him down, and and you remember that story and and Jesus. He says this. He he links the man, and the first thing that Jesus does with that man is he forgives him of his sins. It's the first thing he did. He, he didn't heal him right away. He he forgave him of his sins, and and but he links his paralysis to a previous sin. He does. You can go back. You can look it up in John chapter five verse fourteen. Jesus warned to another pair. Uh, Uh, paralytic man, that be careful that you don't sin lest worse things happen to you. And so can I tell you this? God will not go back on this, okay? God does not go back on this. You reap what you sow. So whatever you're sowing in your life, you're going to reap. I'll give you an example. If you have a life of shooting up drugs And you develop a disease from shooting up drugs, you are going to reap what you sow. Sometimes sickness comes from sin. But not all sickness is from sin. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? And so the key is not to argue how you got sick. The key is to know that the healer of both your body and the redeemer of your soul is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? All right, verse 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession is good for the soul. You know why we don't air out our issues? Pride. struggle. Hey, Marcus, this is going on in my life. I'm having a struggle. Pride keeps me from, from that. I, I, had a, I had a shortcoming. I had a weakness. Pride. And confession is good for the soul. And, some, and here's the thing. Some of us, there's, there's, there's a balance to this. I think you, you need to have a balance to confession. Some of us are too obsessed with confession, there's some people who will never confess, and there's people on the other side that will tell you everything that they've ever done. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I want to just encourage you, if you feel a need to confess a sin to a brother or a sister, you might as suggest that you find someone who is walking in the love of Christ and will listen to you and correct you in love, okay? You don't need to confess everything to just everybody or to just anybody, you find somebody that will keep you accountable, that will love on you, that will walk you through it. Okay? That will walk you through it. Uh, and there is there is uh there is healing that can happen when we open up to the Lord, but also others. And 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 here's the thing: when we open up to others, what happens is when I drop my pride and I'm like, hey, I'm dealing with this issue, it is, opens up a door of accountability. So if I Tell Jody, hey, I, I'm dealing with this issue. Guess what? Jody can call me the next day and say, How are you doing today? I just want to tell you, I was praying for you today. Are you, are you are you dealing with this situation okay? Or can I can I is there something you need? Is accountability. So confession's not a bad thing uh, to one another. And I might add this that Jesus said this. He said this uh, on the cross. He says, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And not, uh, not it is to be continued until you confess in front of the whole church, but he said it is finished. Okay? The work on the cross covered our sins of the past, the present, and the future. That's it. Now, I know that's tough for some of us. You know, it's kind of hard to wrap our – but let me tell you something. What that doesn't give you is a free pass to go sin like you want to sin. Okay, Just because Jesus covered your sins doesn't give you a free pass to go live like you want to. Because guess what? You reap what you sow, and the wages of sin are death. All right. Some of you are with me. All right. Uh, and that doesn't give me a free pass to live in, the, in sin, but it, but it's a great reminder of God's grace and love towards me. When I know, hey, if I mess up, I've messed up in my past. I mess up sometimes in my present. And I know I'm probably going to mess up in my future. Guess what I know? God's grace has got me here, God's love has got me here, and God's grace has got me here. He's covered me. Amen. So it says this, 16b says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it is working. Elijah was a man with uh, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what the scripture is telling me is Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So what, what that tells me about the early church, these people were a people of prayer. They were a people of prayer. And it says this, Elijah, he prayed earnestly. You say, well, I'm not Elijah, and I can say this, I know. You say, well, I'm not righteous, and I can say, I know. And I'm not an effectual, fervent prayer, and I say, you might be surprised if you put it to practice. This is what I know about prayer. Prayer is two things. Prayer is effective when it's used. There isn't a tool in your shed, in your garage, guys, or a, that is effective when it's just sitting there. You've got to grab the tool, you've got to put it to work. And fervent prayer accomplishes great results. You want good results? Pray fervently. Verse 19 says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I... I, and and I like this. This is we're we're coming down to an end here. What causes people to to wander? What what uh, you know the King James Version says, or what err. What causes people to, to wander from, from God's grace? What causes people to err? Because this is what I know, and I heard this tonight, and I and I loved it, and I, I had to throw it in here. Because at the heart of every problem, there is a problem of the heart. At the heart of every problem, there is a problem of the heart. So, if a person struggles with the body of Christ, when and listen, I've been in ministry a long time, and I had I had students and I had people that I thought were on fire for God, completely turn their back on God and go a completely opposite. And I'm heartbroken. I'm broken by that, and it it it, it it's tough. But this is what Scripture says: a person struggles with the body of Christ. When a problem in their heart causes them to be uncomfortable in the presence of God. You know why people walk away? Because selfish ambition. And and then when they come to church, they start to feel convicted. And they just totally just back away and back away and back away. It says this. Paul Paul would say this. Paul would say Demas has abandoned us because he, he loved the world in 2 Timothy 4.10. He's talking about Demas. He left it. But Demas would say this. I'm struggling with Paul's doctrine of justification. They, they may, in either way, this is what happened. Either way, however, whether you're looking at Demas' point of view or you're looking at Paul's point of view, either way, Demas found himself isolated and cut off. And let me tell you something: the enemy wants to cut you off and to isolate you. He wants to pull you away from the body of Christ. Romans 6:23 says this, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we know this as believers that when people fail and when they make mistakes and when they make bad decisions and you reap what you sow, the, the wages of sin, when you, when you sin is death. So you reap, you reap that. If, you, if you're sinning, you're going to inherit death. You're going you're gonna, to, when you sow in sin, you're going to reap death, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what James is saying here is ultimately that if someone wonders or if they err, it's our responsibility to go grab this love on them and bring them back to the fold. That's that's what he's saying and he he he's telling us there and 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 when we when we do this, you know, he he says this, you know, not that we save their soul, but we we're we're keeping them from going to an eternity of hell. What a responsibility we have. And I like this because James, he doesn't uh into his book and A benediction, he doesn't end it in a major theological uh, dissertation. He doesn't end it in a prayer of intercession like most books in the New Testament. Matter of fact, he ends it just by saying, if one errs, go get him. That's, That's just how he ends it. And I love that. It's a simple exhortation, and here's what I know it's as if James is just saying i don't need to have some major huge ending i've given you the word of god and in james fashion go do it i love that and i love i love the simplicity of that and so knowing that you know as believers we should pray for those i believe most of us know someone who may have been in church or know someone who doesn't know the lord You ought to pray for that person. You ought to do everything you can to show the love of Christ to that person. Because you might be the only person that could reach that person. God may be intending to use you to reach that person. And you may be the only Jesus that that person sees. It's not just the pastor's job to go grab everybody. Because if you're dependent on me, we're in trouble. But if we collectively all together, we think about this. We know somebody and we love on somebody and say, hey, they need, they need to be reminded of the love of Jesus. Or, I need to call this former student that is not walking in Christ. And maybe I need to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I just want to tell you, I love you. And I still believe God has a purpose and a destiny for you. I say, well, what if that's awkward for them? Just tell them in love. And that's the, that is the simplicity of, of the book of James, is, is simply this, it can be summed up in, in, in simply this, go do it, literally, go do it, go do it. And so hopefully you guys enjoyed, enjoyed this, I really enjoyed teaching this, um, moving forward what we're going to do uh, for the next few weeks up until Easter is split the men and women again and. Uh, a Bible study, the men will be doing a Bible study, and uh, we're going to do that, but after Easter, we're going to pray about maybe coming back, and maybe maybe going over another book of the Bible, and doing this, I mean, have you guys enjoyed this? I've enjoyed teaching it, and let me tell you, it's been challenging, and I love the word of God, it challenges us, it challenges us, and it pushes us, and it, it should propel us, and and I don't know about you, uh, you know, you don't have to wait to do this, you can do this every day if you open up the Word of God, and God will reveal things to you. And you ask the Holy Spirit to, to lead and guide you before you pray. Let me, let me just give you a bit of advice. When you're reading the Word of God, don't read it fast just to read it. I read my three chapters today. God, I'm good. Read it to understand. Read it to understand. And, and, and you'll see the Word of God will transform you, and I promise you that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, you've been so good to us. God, I pray, Lord, for those who may be dealing with trials and situations. God, I pray, Lord, that like like James talked about, patience. God, I pray for that you would give them patience. God, give them supernatural strength. Lord, to to make it through these situations. God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work all things together. God, for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to to your purpose. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just... Just begin to reveal to us, God, each and every one of us, God, areas that we can grow in, that we can can be strengthened in. God, I, I pray for those who may be sick in body, Lord, and those who are struggling with situations. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just lead and guide us uh, and guide them, God, through uh, areas. God, those who are have trials in front of them and maybe it seems impossible and maybe it seems like they don't know where to turn, God, I pray, Lord, that you would... Gently nudge them and direct them in the way and the purpose that you've called them to. And God, we just thank you for this. God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In your name we pray and everyone said? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.